Welcome everyone to the She Can Fix It podcast. My name is Dr. Alana Munger. This month, we have a great episode with two of my co-residents, Dr. Maritza Dion Esses and Dr. Stephanie Kashuba. They are two of the three female interns we have here at Yale. The third female intern, Dr. Claire Donnelly, was vacationing in Europe at the time of this interview, so we will have to have her on the podcast at another time. I wanted to check in with Dion and Stephanie to ask how intern year has been going and their viewpoint of the virtual interviewing process. I had a great time learning more about these two, and I'm so happy they're here at Yale. It is my pleasure to share with you this episode of the She Can Fix It podcast with Dr. Dion Esses and Dr. Stephanie Kashuba. Here on the She Can Fix It podcast, we have Dr. Stephanie Kashuba and Dr. Dion Esses. Thank you guys so much for joining us, and I am very excited to speak with you guys about Interneer. Thanks so much for having us. Excited to be here. We are so pumped. All right, you guys. So first, I would love to get into your guys' background. So in your own words, can you describe hometown, college, as well as medical schools? So Stephanie, why don't we go with you first? Sure. Um, So I was born in Chicago and grew up just outside of the city. Uh, I went to Loyola University, Chicago for undergrad and Rosalind Franklin University for medical school. Nice. How about you, Dion? So I actually was born in uh, Lille, France, Mm. Um, but I grew up in Western Massachusetts in a town called Belchertown. Great name. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then I did undergrad at Connecticut College, which is a a few few miles um, up the road from uh, Yale. And I went to uh, Detroit, Michigan, Wayne State University School of Medicine for medical school. Go Warriors. (laughs) Nice. Awesome. So I would love to actually, I actually don't know this about you guys. Can you tell us your story of why you wanted to pursue orthopedic surgery? Yeah. um, So I'll start. I actually have a bit of a roundabout um, story. Um, I was an avid skier growing up. And one of my, uh, one may make the common association that uh, if you do some sort of sport uh, and you like medicine, you might go into orthopedics. However, my own experience uh, with a head injury, um, skiing, as well as uh, seeing some of my friends and a family member also experience a really bad head injury skiing, Mm. um, initially drew me to neurotrauma. Uh, So uh, so when I started undergrad, I got into neuroscience research. I was on this biology track. Um, And then upon entering medical school, I realized I didn't quite like learning about the brain as much as I thought I would. Uh, And I really didn't like the patient outcomes with a lot of neurosurgical procedures, um, just the nature of the type of patients uh, you get and their Mm -hmm. problems. Um, And I quickly found uh, that I loved uh, the MSK system and just studying uh, musculoskeletal anatomy. Um, It was interesting, too, because I grew up playing uh, bassoon. Uh, which is my random fun fact always. (laughs) Uh, But my first bassoon instructor was a retired orthopedic hand surgeon. Uh, And he always would throw in these little tidbits about anatomy and uh, injuries and musicians. Um, And so upon starting medical school, 
uh, I was still playing the bassoon with him uh, and I kind of started exploring orthopedics and I found that it just clicked. Uh, I started joints research at a private practice and I loved my mentor there and I think he probably influenced me a lot, uh, but I just was very excited to continue learning more about it and uh, here I am. Wow. That's awesome. I had no idea you thought you were going to go into neurosurgery. Mm -hmm. And it's honestly making me rather scared of our uh, residency ski trip, I'll be honest. (laughs) Um, But Dion, how about you? Why why did you want to do uh, ortho? So I also had kind of a roundabout way. Um, So I had, uh, I was born with a congenital heart defect um, that I ended up having to have open heart surgery for when I was three and a half. Um, and from that point on, I was like, I want to be a doctor, probably a cardiologist, probably a a CT surgeon. Mm -hmm. So I went throughout life kind of with that goal of I'm going to do CT surgery. Um, and then once I got to medical school, medical school was hard in the first two years for me. Um, and I realized, you know, I was like, maybe I should explore other things because I didn't go straight through med school. So I had a couple of careers um, in between graduating from from undergrad and going to medical school. So I was like, you know what, let me make sure that I am really, you know, truly understanding what it is that I want to do with my life Hmm. um, and if medicine is the right thing. And I knew that it was, um, but then I wanted to make sure that I wanted to do CT surgery. And when I got to medical school, you know, I listened to actually podcasts about what it's like to be a CT surgeon. It didn't really fit with my personality and, and kind of what did I, what I wanted for my life. Um, Hmm. there's few and far, um, there, there's not that many CT surgeons, um, and fellowships are really hard to get into. And you essentially have to wait for CT surgeons to retire out in order for you to be able to get a position, um, in academic institutions. Um, but I definitely, uh, was like, well, you know, I, I don't want to be on call all the time. And I want to see my family when I do have a family. So maybe I should try and consider, you know, some other surgical specialties. And then lo and behold, there was this attending that we had um, during our MSK unit that was uh, Wayne Grad, who um, at the beginning of his first lecture for us, just went through his entire backstory of how he just struggled so hard through medical school. He's like, I barely you know, made it out of medical school. I barely Mm. passed. And, you know, I I knew that I wanted to do orthopedics and I fell in love with it. Um, And it's just the best field in the world. And I just, his story kind of really resonated with me because I was like, you know what? I'm struggling too through medical school, but I like that you really love what you do and that you were able to persevere through all the challenges that you had. Mm -hmm. So let me kind of look into this because I... I like figuring out how people get injured because I personally try and avoid injury. So let me figure out how I can fix people so that I can also know how to fix myself in the event that I (laughs) fall into some trauma. So this is kind of really like a self-serving career choice for me, if if I'm being completely honest. But that's kind of how I ended up. And I just really realized that orthopedics is a field that has very happy people. I'm a happy person, so it just fit the bill. Oh, indeed it does. You guys, that's such great stories. I had no idea. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, you guys are two of our three female interns that we have here at Yale, and unfortunately, Claire is off vacationing in Spain. 
Um, and so good, good on her. I'm very jealous. <laughs> um, but how has intern year been for you both? How about you, Dion? So I've spent the majority of intern year so far off service. And it's been <laughs> very interesting to kind of get a, a take of what it's how other services are run. Um, and what other services value in terms of kind of patient care and, you know, just mm-hmm. how they value us as, as orthopedic uh, surgery residents and how the, the workflow goes between the services. So it's been interesting gaining that perspective. And I think uh, obviously it has made me a little bit, a lot more comfortable managing patients that don't have orthopedic problems. So when I am on ortho, um, I feel more comfortable being able to not only just manage their ortho problems, but also kind of making sure that they've got good bowel regimens and, you know, that <laughs> I'm checking their belly uh, post-operatively and that like all those little nuances that you're just like, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. Maybe I shouldn't have to do this, but you do have to do that because at the end of the day, you're a good doctor first and you're an orthopedic surgeon second. Well said. Well said. How about like you, it. Stephanie? Um, I've really been enjoying intern year so far. It has its challenging moments, of course. Um, I uh, uh, have had the fortune of spending a little bit of of time on ortho so far. um, And then now I'm doing more of my off-service rotations. Uh, And every day I am so thankful that I chose ortho um, because being off-service just reminds me. uh, I mean, there are great people uh, in my other rotations but it just reminds me every day how much I love the specialty that I chose. Um, I am so thankful too for having such a wonderful group of residents within our program. Uh, everyone has been just so welcoming from the start. Uh, and we've just had such a good tight group um, where we can hang out outside of work, uh, you know, go to each other with any problems. So it's been a good start. I'm really excited for the next few years. Oh, oh good. What was the biggest change for you guys when you transitioned from medical school to intern year? So for me, I guess um, I added a human to my family. I know. Congratulations. (laughs) On top of already. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) On top of already having one human. Um, So it's definitely been a challenge uh, navigating residency as a mom to two children under the age of oh god I don't even remember like four I think <laughs> I think this is something that should come off the tongue Just <laughs> it should sure it should but you know I I you know I I reserve my headspace for other more pressing things sometimes. like bowel regimens Exactly. <laughs> Somebody will remember their ages for me. Um, so that's kind of, that's been very interesting, kind of navigating that whole um, just mess. Um, but I, I think I, I didn't realize just how tired you could get. Um, and it's a lot of it is as a result of just constantly having to switch your sleep schedule around um, because the schedule changes uh, depending on what rotation you're on, if you're taking um, uh, like a 24 hour call versus night float, you really have to readjust, you know, how you're sleeping and, you know, who you, who you're seeing, what, what priority, what your priorities are when you do have time off, whether you should be sleeping or you should actually be enjoying your life. So I think that's kind of been the biggest challenge is managing all of the expectations, both, um, 
at home and at work um, in a 24-hour day. Yeah, yeah. I definitely agree with that. Um, It's like feeling perpetually jet-lagged for some time uh, with with, with the schedule switches. Um, The other thing, I think, is just the new – the, the new responsibility that you have as a, an actual physician now, uh, as a medical student, you know, you can always, you have some role in patient care, but in the end, it's not really on you. Uh, and now it's actually your duty to follow up on the labs, on the bowel regimens, on uh, everything that your uh, patient needs. Um, so I, uh, I think that that's a big transition from medical school. And then personally for me, just uh, moving to the East Coast uh, from the Midwest (laughs) and uh, getting settled here, um, taking the time to actually explore and learn about the surrounding area too. Um, So that's been a little transition, but uh, a really fun one. And it's fun to, uh, to meet new people and do that with them. Nice. Yeah, what I love about New Haven is that it's, there's it, there's if you're a foodie, there's so many different restaurants and there are new restaurants popping up and it's just it's pizza, it's the ice cream, it's all these sorts of things and it's just 100% agree. Coming from Chicago, I was actually very worried about uh would there be a good diversity of food here and I was so pleasantly surprised. Yeah, no, it's it's yeah, New Haven's great. Um, what are some of the things that you guys, like the best pieces of advice you got prior to starting your intern year? I'll start. Uh, my, uh, my mentor that I did research with, uh, he's a joint surgeon. He, uh, brought this up to me, um, before starting residency. He's like, Stephanie, do you know what the most important tool is as an intern? And I'm like, a good pen, Dr. Gordon? He's like, no, a good pair of shoes. Um, and, and that is very true. Um, the first week at, uh, at SRC, one of our hospitals, um, I was wearing not so great clogs and I rolled my ankle down the stairs. Oh. I since have gotten very good sneakers and they have proven to be my trusty friend around the hospital. Oh. So I would say the best piece of advice that I got was actually from pretty much every intern that I worked with as a fourth year medical student is don't study. (laughs) Oh my word. (laughs) Take the time before residency to live your life. Okay, there we go. (laughs) <laughs> they said no, like don't study during no. your intern year i'm like oh no, no, no. study during residency absolutely but do not open a book once you are done with your rotations yes. um as a medical student you the the amount of knowledge that you are tr- attempting to gain um between the time that you are a med student and the time that you are an intern uh will probably serve you well for maybe the first two weeks um, if that otherwise everything else is pretty much on the job training and learning um, and it's best to just give yourself the time to really relax reset see your friends see your family especially if you're not going to be um, in a uh, location that is close to family um, and just really kind of try and organize your life as much as you possibly can so that when you do start residency you, you're not tying up too many loose ends um, because it's really hard to get things done um, because the world does not work around a resident schedule. Uh, we have to. Truth. A hundred percent. 
So what I always wanted to talk to you guys about is that you were our first class to kind of go through the virtual residency process. And you guys are basically, this is fresh in your, in your mind. And you were the ones who were on the receiving end of going through this process. And so what are some of the aspects about virtual interviews for residency that you actually liked? I, I loved that I could attend all my interviews. Um, I had uh, two interviews on the same day uh, that one was in Florida, one was in California. That would not mm-hmm. be feasible uh, previously uh, when you actually would have to fly to those places. So it was cool to be able to actually attend uh, all the ones that I wanted to. Uh, and we saved a lot of money um, by not having to fly and get hotels. Mm-hmm. So that's a big perk. Um, there are downsides too. I mean, you didn't get to see the program in person. Um, that was a little challenging, particularly for uh, for the places that I had never been to. Uh, and Yale was, was one of those places. I had not been to Connecticut uh, beforehand. Um, so different programs did different things to help uh, applicants get a better sense of their location and uh, their culture. Um, and some definitely stood out more than others, uh, Yale being one of those for me. <laughs> How about you, Dion? I, for one, loved interviewing at home in my (laughs) slippers because I was fully pregnant. So, you know, I think one of the issues that is, you know, depending on the program is really not an issue, but it's something that you that as a woman um, you think about is how will programs perceive you um, if you're showing up, you know, eight, nine months pregnant again, shouldn't be an issue. But the beauty of virtual interviews is that I got to avoid that potential awkward, you know, situation where somebody might ask me, oh, you know, like, what do you do? How many kids do you plan to have? That kind of stuff that's totally illegal to ask. Um, but on the on another uh, note is it was really nice being able to interview um, at home because mid day of the interview or mid morning or mid afternoon, whatever it might be, I was able to just kind of take a deep breath and and check in with, you know, my husband who was working around the corner and just like, you know, get, give him like feedback as to how things were going and get mm-hmm. little pep talks from him. So it was nice being able to kind of have, be in my own little safe space and um, <laughs> just environment to kind of it, it makes you a lot more comfortable. And I didn't have to walk around any hospital in uncomfortable shoes. So yeah. that was also the mm-hmm. third bonus of being at home. I know. Well, it was funny. I don't know if you guys know the story, but my Yale interview, um, I actually can't had to cancel it because I was stuck in a snowstorm. Oh, no. So I was in Detroit, believe it or not. And this was when there was the bomb cyclone. That occurred. And so there were no flights to the tri-state area. And I had like Yale on the Saturday and and a Boston school on the Sunday. And I literally, there was no way that I was going to make it to Yale. And so I had to cancel that. But I had two days to get from Detroit to Boston. And mind you, this is me, grew up in Hawaii, did all my schooling in California. So I've never driven in the snow before. And driving was the only way that I could get there. Oh, my gosh. So oh I literally dro- I got a big, like, hunkin' SUV, all-wheel drive rental car, drove from Detroit to Rochester, 
New York, which is where my sister was at, in one day. That took eight hours. And then I did Rochester, New York to Boston to make it for that interview um, on that Sunday. That's a horrible drive. It it literally, I, what was funny is I'm surprised nothing bad happened because there, you know how like you go on, it's either over or under a bridge and there are all these signs that say something I, it freezes before something or whatever. See, I don't even know right, right now I've been here for three years and I don't even know what it means. It freezes (laughs) over in winter. Yes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) See, I don't know what that means. And so I literally just like same speed, you know, (laughs) so it, it, you're right where it's just the traveling, the cost of it, the actual, like, ugh, it was brutal. Ugh. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of those thoughts in, like, back in wait, my wait. day. So, but, 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 but I need to know, when did you end up interviewing with Yale, or how did that work so out? I e- so I emailed Kathy. So for those who don't know, Kathy is our, like, residency coordinator and is amazing, all these sorts of things. And I, and I said, like, I'm really interested in Yale but I literally was stuck in a cyclone. And luckily others, you know, applicants were also stuck in this same snowstorm. And so Yale actually created a separate interview day for all of us that had to cancel. That's amazing. So there was, I think, like seven of us that came wow. and Yale was my last interview. Um, I think it was like January 26th or something and rankless were due in mid-February. Um, wow. I know. See? It's a great story. It was a horrible experience, but a great story. <laughs> it all worked out in the end. It all worked out in the end. Um, what do you guys think when you're thinking about all the virtual interviewing that you've done? Uh, what do you think should be we should make better or what should be improved? For me, it was definitely uh, the concept of uh, not being able to see some places in person And um, some programs, like I mentioned, did a better job of just telling you about their area, about their hospital. Um, Some actually put together virtual videos um, and tours uh, of their hospitals or photos. uh, And that was really helpful. So I could just envision myself in that place or see where the residents uh, were going, where their what their ORs looked like. Um, Not that that necessarily matters, but just to like conceptualize that place in your head um, and kind of have a better picture when you're making your rank list to actually associate it with some images. Um, that was, uh, really helpful to me. Um, and I think more programs should be doing that this year. True. True. How about you, Dion? What do you think? You know, I think definitely it's impossible to, to be able to, with virtual interviews, unless you kind of allow students to come or they, themselves choose to show up um in town and kind of give themselves a tour um i think that's the that's the main thing for me that was kind of missing is that kind of in-person tour of being able to really like set foot in the area and really get an understanding of like okay like this is a good place to live or um you know like this is kind of what the hospital looks like and what the residence room rooms look like um but prim- predominantly kind of what the actual town city state mm-hmm is, is really like, um, that's something that I really enjoyed about my medical school interviews and something that I definitely missed, um, in residency interviews, but that is kind of tough to fix. Otherwise, I think there's a lot of things that maybe as medical students or as a medical student, you think are important to know, um, during a residency uh, interview program or during a residency interview, I'm sorry. And 
then you realize when you're a resident, ah, you know, I probably didn't really need to see the ORs. I probably didn't really need to see the resident room because no matter what, it's just going to, there's nothing to really change about that. Um, and there are more important things um, to actually look at during the interview. Um, so I, I think those those things that I would change are, are things that can, cannot be changed in a virtual interview setting. Truth, truth. You know, I've, we've had many medical students kind of come in through here and we've had, you know, medical students email me and asking like, what should I be looking for in a residency program? What do you guys think that the applicants should be focusing on as they go through their various interviews? I would say focus on finding a place where you're going to be happy or where you feel for sure that you're going to be happy. It doesn't matter what the name, the name of the program, the location is important. If you're, if being close to family is really important to you. And I would say, even for those that don't think that they want to be close to family, um, I would try and stay, you know, within a six hour drive of family if you can. Um, Cause, cause that support system is, is really critical. If not family, then close friends. Um, but, and then finding a place where you feel that they want you as much as you want them. Um, that's really what I focused on. And I think that's how I ended up at, at Yale and, and at a place that's really just been perfect for me. Oh, nice. How about you, Stephanie? Uh, I echoed Dion, uh, with all of that. Um, I think it, you know, as Every applicant has to kind of dig deep and figure out what is important for them too. Everyone's a little different. Some people love um, bigger programs and thrive uh, with more people. Some people prefer a more intimate setting and, uh, you know, a program that might have two or three residents per year um, versus 12 uh, or more. Um, so that's, that's something that everyone has to think about on their own. Um, I echo uh, the location, um, you know, uh, name does not matter. And I always hear medical students talking about, oh, it's ranked like whatever number on doximity. In the end, that doesn't matter. You're going to be an orthopedic surgeon wherever you train. And it's important that you're happy there, um, that you get along with the people there. Every program has a slightly different culture. Um, so really thinking about uh, what you prioritize and do the residents and attendings at that place seem to echo your values? Um, I had programs that I really wanted to love, and then I interviewed with them, and I'm like, I don't really click with these people, uh, and that's important. I had to kind of dig deep, and I'm like, as much as I love this place, uh, I don't think I could be with these people for five years, whereas there were other programs um, where I'm like, oh, pleasantly surprised. I actually really got along with these people um, and, uh, they seem to have really, uh, great interests that I would love to get to know more about. Uh, and that is where I could see myself, um, uh, thriving and, and learning over the course of my residency. Nice. Nice. And I know that we've spoken a lot about this, but what advice do you have for the residency applicants? You know, they're probably soon they're getting all of their interview invites, um, which are apparently now released on one day. Is that true? That is one of the best things they could have done. Um, I yeah. had friends uh, in other specialties like general surgery. And uh, one of my friends and I, we were both on plastics uh, during our M4 year. 
and we were alternating cases and she would give me her phone uh, during the cases just in case she got any interview at any point so she could respond uh, to it. And I was tasked with uh, replying yes to any interview that came through. That's really stressful, especially if you don't have someone to do uh, to hold your phone and do that for you. So uh, I think the concept of uh, knowing that your interviews come out on one day, you can take the time to sit that day and like organize your schedule as you get those interviews. I think that was a fantastic thing um, that they did our year. Yeah. No. So when three years ago, four years, how many, however many years ago it was, when I was applying, I literally responded to an interview invite when I was getting my eyebrows waxed. Like I kid you <laughs> not, I had my phone on me and I told the lady, I'm, I'm sorry. Can I just reply to this email very, very quickly at, you know, mid wax, which is, you know, embarrassing. It's fine. It happened. But I mean, that's literally what it was like. It's like, I remember I was holding my phone and I had, and everyone knew that I would scrub out if like I got that interview invite. And it's, that is a great change that they really have made. Um, I do want to talk about some more depressing news, which was the Orthomatch Excel chat. I don't know if you guys heard about this. And Mm -hmm. for our listeners, there basically is this Excel spreadsheet um, in the world where it's created by the medical students to help residency applicants in applying to residencies. There's information about the various programs, interview dates, da, 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 da. There was a chat feature on this document. And in the past month, it came to light that many or some individuals had posted hateful um, and vulgar comments about underrepresented minorities as well as women. Um, in response to learning about these posts, many national societies like the Academy, AOA, RJOS, uh, the Black Women Orthopedic Surgeons, and many, many more, they all released statements basically condemning the behavior and advocating for diversity and inclusivity. What was your initial response when you heard or read these comments? Uh, so the, the the spreadsheet exists every year. Someone creates it every year. So our year, we had one too. Um, I definitely stalked it um, as, as most uh, applicants uh, do. Mm-hmm. You're just curious uh, about what others have to say. Um, and I wouldn't say that the comments this year are necessarily new. Um, there may have been more and maybe they were a little amplified uh, but um, I, it wasn't something that I was surprised to see, but it's definitely disheartening that uh, there are um, applicants applying to uh, our wonderful field that still feel that way. And, um, you know, you, you want to um, hope for the best for uh, for all your future colleagues. So um, it's, it's sad that you, the sheet's anonymous. So it, um you know, you hope that you don't get whoever said these comments right. to your program. Um, and I definitely, in my experience um, with orthopedics, um, personally, I've been blessed to have really good mentors who have supported me as a female in ortho. Um, and I have encountered some surgeons who uh, didn't necessarily feel that way. Um, so it, it's uh, really nice to be at Yale where we have a female chair. Um, a female program director, a female assistant program director, three women in our intern in, intern class, um, which is just um, I think 
such a great um, way to go and promotion of diversity here. Um, I definitely interviewed with programs where it was all male or almost all male, um, you know, faculty and residents. Um, so I, I really respect Yale, and that was one of the reasons why I ranked them so high um, because I felt like I would be accepted here um, as a female in surgery and in orthopedics, and that people would also um, recognize that you know, as as women. Um, they're, you know, we're not necessarily the muscly dude, uh, and there may be some things that we have to learn different, differently in terms of technique um, or tips and tricks um, to, to make things easier, like in fracture reduction, for example. And all uh, my senior residents have been really great in giving me advice about that. No one's treated me uh, differently um, for, for being a female. So um, I, I think that... Um, the organizations like AOS, um, Ruth Jackson Society, speaking up uh, is really important in this case. And just coming as a unified force in orthopedics and standing up, um, it's, uh, I mean, we're in the 21st century and that's the way it needs to go. True. How about you, Dion? So that was such a positive way to end that. Uh, what you said, Stephanie, and I'm just gonna kind of just no, let it rain, destroy just, it, yeah, just let, let it, it rain. rain. Yeah, so you know, I, I again, this none of this is new. Um, and as a, a black woman, um, in America, in orthopedics, or in not even orthopedics, just surgery, medicine, and surgery. not even surgery, medicine, you, you are the just, unicorn of orthopedic surgery, that is exactly. I mean, there are what? Like, there's less. I, the statistic out there is that there's less 60, than 60, maybe. Yeah. It's Something like less like than 2% of practicing orthopedic surgeons are black women. Um, and these comments are, again, not new. And I think it's kind of very like naive. Um, of all of us and the rest of society to think, oh my God, like this year, wow, everyone's like going crazy. No, this has been happening. And I think that in medicine, we do a, a pretty uh, poor job of really um, weeding out, that. not mm -hmm. even acknowledging. I mean, like, yeah, I, you know, we're, it's kind of past that point of really weeding out um, people who are not going to be good doctors for people of color, for underrepresented minorities. Mm -hmm. um, and we we need to really dig deep and figure out what is it, how are we recruiting people into medicine? Um, and is it because they know someone and that's why, or their parents were physicians and that's why we think that they also should become physicians? Because some people make make choices, make the choice to become doctors and to become become surgeons, um, not out of kind of the goodness of their hearts or altruistic reasons or whatever. It's just because A, somebody told them to become a doctor or they think that it's expected of them to become a doctor because somebody in their family was that. Um, so I think we need to do a better job of actually bringing people into medicine who are actually there for the right reasons and bringing more diversity into medicine um, as a whole. I remember looking at programs um, as, a, uh, as a medical student of orthopedic surgery in environments or in cities that were predominantly uh, black and seeing that all of the orthopedic residents were, were either all white or all white men, um, which I think is kind of uh, like ridiculous. Um, so, you know, 
I think that from the perspective of a black person, um, again, this is just, it's good that other people are seeing this now, um, and seeing how kind of bigoted and racist and, you know, just really not good. Um, some people in medicine are, um, but instead of kind of just making these blanket statements that, you know, all right, you know, we don't condone these actions or the words of these people, what are we going to continue to do? Cause there, there have been strides that have been made, obviously, as you can see, you know, in our residency program, we, we are very multicultural, multi-ethnic, um, and have a, a great representation across the board. Um, but what are we going to continue to do to ensure that, that we are bringing people into this field that actually represent the patient populations that we're treating? Um, and what are we going to actively teach um, our residents, medical students, students who are looking into medicine um, throughout the course of their education that makes them aware of not only how to address people, um, but understanding that it's okay to uh, not fit into the status quo of what is orthopedics or what was once orthopedics. Um, and if we can do a better job of doing that, then we won't have to have these uh, blanket conversations or, or blanket statements that say we um, do not condone X, Y, Z. There's actually going to be action behind um, the words that we, that we express. No, I think that's, I think, I think it's very true what you say where it's, you know, the national societies, there are a lot of folks, and I, I tend to agree agree with them, where a lot of folks were upset that these national societies were basically putting out these statements, right, and saying the right words. And at the end of the day, well done is better than well said. Where it's yeah, just what like, are they going to do about it? What do you actually, what are your action items? And so I, I do tend to lean toward that side, but I also need I hope people understand that the, it is also up to us. And I think um, I remember speaking with one attending surgeon about this and it, it's kind of, it comes from the top and it also comes from the bottom, meaning it, it comes from the national societies, you know, making these statements, trying to make policy changes, da, 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 da. It also has to come from us as well. Like we can't depend on those in the higher up realms to be able to make the changes that we want to see. Because at the end of the day, it's also those of us who are in the trenches. You know, we need to ask ourselves, what are we doing in order to, you know, be the change that we want to see? Um, and I do want to end, not end, but just make a positive note with a positive story. And to let residency applicants know that there are many, many, many men in this field who are absolute gentlemen and scholars. And classic story was last week. So for those of you who don't know, I'm in my third trimester of pregnancy. So I'm walking around with a basketball under my scrubs and just the waddle is very, you know, everyone knows. And so I was operating last week and my patient just started desatting and I'm closing. And so they call anesthesia to the room. So everyone's kind of, you know, there's like 10 anesthesia providers up at the top. And I'm just like, let me just close this wound that way. anesthesia can do what they got to do. You know, the tubes in, we're fine. Just like go as fast as I can go. And one of my co-residents comes in and he's like, oh, that looks nice. And I'm like, I had no idea he was there. I'm like, what are you doing here? He's like, I just wanted to make sure it wasn't for you. Like, so oh. he literally left his OR, like unscrubbed, 
left his OR, came to my OR just to make sure that anesthesia wasn't called because of me, basically, like for any pregnancy things or anything like that. So it would like my heart literally like kind of melted a little bit. And I was just like, oh my God. So I do want to like let people know, like, yes, these there are changes that need to happen. We can be those changes. And there are men in this field who are absolute bright spots. And I think that it's just we need to re- recruit the those bright kind of people. people. Like the bright people, whether they are men or women, black, white, whoever it may be, just the brilliant minds and like make our field better. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to say about that. Agreed. The people that want to encourage that kind of mentality too. Yeah. But I do agree with you that it's just was a moment where, you know, for me, I remember I was so livid and I was just like, you know, this is why I created the podcast right? It's just like things actually, we need to actually do something about this and all that. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, I do want to talk about changes in the residency application process. So preliminary data from ERAS uh, this year, or ERAS or however we're saying it these days, Mm -hmm. the average number of residency position applications per applicant was 87. So Let's say an applicant applies to 80 programs. The cost of submitting that application is basically $1,779. And so there have been changes to the process, which we kind of talked about, where like all the interviews are released on the same day. Um, They got rid of step one clinical skills, which praise be, that was great. Um, But what do you, what changes do you think well, actually, do you think any changes need to occur in the residency application process? I think the the fact that step one is going uh, to uh, pass fail or has gone to pass fail is is huge. Um, I think that, or my understanding is that that exam was only meant to really just be kind of like a if you pay. It's like just a just a step. It's one one little step. That was not really meant to determine the outcome of or the trajectory of your medical career. Um, And I think that because of this high, this highly competitive field of orthopedics for various reasons, um, the the competition is steep and and we've been using that to weed out um, uh, applicants, I think, unfairly sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I feel like probably what needs to be done. Cause ultimately whenever you have people applying like shotgun applying, and I totally did the same, you know, to, you know, hundreds of programs, um, generally the, 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 the residency interviews will go to the top, you know, X, Y, Z percent of applicants. And there's a bunch of people that are at that, in that middle, or even kind of at the bottom who maybe had a bad day or a bad year or whatever, um, but would be excellent residents who get left out of that. And maybe a cap would help, you know, if you capped how many applications or actually how many interviews, I don't think uh, the amount of applications really um, would change anything because I think it's hard to really know 
kind of what programs are looking for in an applicant and, you know, what you yourself are really looking for in a program. I think a lot of that you end up getting when you interview at some of these places. But I also think that there are, there are people who had, you know, 15 to 25 plus interviews that probably didn't need to go on 15 to 25 interviews. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think there's there's the issue of feeling like I have to just do as many interviews as possible to edge my bets. But if you're somebody who has that many interviews, chances are you're probably going to match um, at any one of your top five. Um, so I think there's a lot of like digging deep that needs to to occur from the applicant's perspective, but it also shouldn't be on us. Um, as applicants to make those decisions. Um, I think that um, maybe programs need to do a better job of really looking and seeing who really wants to come to my program and and how do I make sure that I give interviews to people who are really putting forth the effort or who I really think will be good fits versus just like, all right, this person, you know, got like a two whatever on step one or they like, you know, worked with one person that we know here or they, you know, I think, merit merits one um big factor but also really just digging deep and figuring out kind of how do we truly select who's going to be a right fit for our program and us as applicants how do we do the same thing on on our end well said yeah uh that was fantastic Dion. um i i echo those points i also think that um, another issue with um so many applications is just the advising that some students have um, personally, I came from a med school that didn't have an orthopedic department. Um, we didn't have our own program. And I really didn't have advice within the school about um, applying to competitive surgical subspecialties um, like orthopedics. Uh, so I, I was able to get a little bit of advice um, from my research mentor, but he was in private practice and kind of um, several years removed from academics and uh, residency. Um, so, uh, I was sort of navigating this by myself and, um, I had applied for the Ruth Jackson society and, and mentorship through that, um, and, and got, uh, partnered with, a, um, a program director that was able to give me a little bit more insight about just how I stood as an applicant. Cause I wasn't sure. Um, and that was part of the reason that I applied to probably several more programs than I really needed to but I just did not know going into mm-hmm. um, ERA, the ERAS cycle um, how I stood as an applicant. I had no idea, especially when you hear about how competitive orthopedics is and how you need a crazy step score. And my step score, it was okay, but it wasn't necessarily what you hear um, some of these uh, students saying that, you know, you're 250 plus um, or even 260. Um, I wasn't there. Um, and so I just went into it kind of scared. I knew I really loved uh, orthopedics and this is what I wanted to do, but was my application the right fit? Um, So I I feel like if I had that advising earlier on too, I would have better targeted certain programs, but instead I I threw my application kind of everywhere. Um, And uh, uh, I think that's something we could change um, for students too, is just uh, getting uh, mentorship out there more and um, having faculty members, even from different institutions, make themselves available available for students in other places that might not have that mentorship available at their home institution. Thanks. Well done, you guys. Well done. 
Um, I know that we've talked a lot about the application process and all these sorts of things, but I would like to talk about, you know, your future here at Yale um, and what your goals are for clinically research and just life in general. How about you, Stephanie? Oh man. Um, I'm excited for the future. Um, with, uh, I'm already involved in a lot of research, probably more than I should have taken on um, this early in my residency career. Um, I have two major interests, uh, total joints and then uh, limb deformity correction, like limb lengthening, bone transport. Um, so my research interests are in those two areas, um, and I'm involved in that. Uh, down the line, um, uh, I will determine whether I do one fellowship or two. Um, maybe that'll totally change um, as resident residency progresses. I'm keeping an open mind, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, in terms of long goals, uh, long term, um, you know, it's it's getting through residency to fellowship and then uh, finding uh, a job somewhere um, in, in a city that makes me happy as as well. Um, and we'll to be determined where that is. Right now, uh, I'm in a comfortable spot, uh, uh, working my way through this adjustment of intern year. <laughs> nice. How about you, Dion? Uh, short-term goal, stay awake. That's that's a tough part. <laughs> yeah, truth, truth. <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I've got the, the things that I've been most exposed to, um, up to this point have been trauma and uh, total joints. And I probably will end up doing two fellowships. I'm saying this right now, you know, probably will change my mind after uh, five years. And I'm like, maybe I just want to start making some real money. Um, but, you know, I, I think for me, research is something that I like when I am very passionate about it, but I am not one to do research just to do it. Um, I probably will not be that person who's got, you know, 150 publications. Um, I, I like to select um, what it is that I really like and and really just organize my time so that I can do a little bit of everything. Um, so re research, I think, for me will come uh, probably next year um, and the following years. Um, but I, I, I think I'm just trying to figure out what it is that I think I can do that will give me the best quality of life in the sense that I want to be fulfilled in what I'm doing and, and, and feel like I'm actually making, making a, a good impact and the best impact that I can, um, being, you know, who I am as, you know, a, a minority in this field. Um, and I also would love to do start doing some international work. Um, since my parents are both from West African countries, uh, it'd be nice to be able to kind of uh, go there and start working um, and doing a few a few trips there and actually working with um, some family friends, um, uncles and aunts who are actually in the medical field there. Um, I've got uh, one of my closest uh, family friends and one of my uncles who's a general surgeon in the Ivory Coast. Um, oh, nice. So. I would love to be able to, to do um, a rotation there where I can do some ortho with his colleagues. Um, so that's kind of what is on the horizon for me is just kind of figuring out how to manage that with, with a couple of kids at home. Yeah. That's um, awesome. Very cool, you guys. All right. It is time for the final five. Um, and this is a segment where I ask 
the same five questions to every guest on the She Can Fix It podcast. And so my first final five question is, what is your favorite procedure to perform and why? Dion, what you got? Mako knee. Just because as a med student, they let me do that. And I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever done my entire life. And that's how I started really liking joints. Oh, nice. How about you, Stephanie? Um, also total joints. Um, I love a good anterior approach hip. Um, it's just, it's so satisfying. Your, your arms are tired by the end of it, but, uh, um, it's great to see the patient outcomes afterward. What are your, if you were to have a grand's rounds presentation, what would your go-to topic be? Craziest mechanisms for any traumatic injury. I love one of the things I love about trauma is that people get injured in some of the weirdest ways. Um, so I just, anything that kind of really highlights that um, is just great. It's like they're almost trying, isn't it? <laughs> totally. Um, I would say, uh, I, as I mentioned, uh, one of my interests is uh, limb lengthening. So bone transport, things like that. I think that's just the coolest thing that we can, we can do that for people. Nice. What is your favorite story slash memory as an orthopedic surgeon? Oh gosh, that's this a is, tough one. It, this is always <laughs> the tough one. Um, oh man, I don't know. Matching. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> yes. 100%. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> I agree. Um, uh, yes. Matching. Um, also just, I, I think some of, um, I'm, I'll go all the way back to some of my med school experiences. I don't know that there's one particular uh, uh, scenario, but uh, I had two really great mentors who it was just such a pleasure to be in the OR with them. And no matter how tough um, of a day I had um, or coming uh, from, from a general surgery procedure or whatnot, just to be in the OR with them and seeing how passionate they were about what uh, – how passionate they were um, about orthopedics and what they were doing just really inspired me and uh, um, made me realize that this is something I want to do and I want to be just as passionate uh, as they are and provide the best care for my patients. So um, working with people uh, that have that drive um, is really special. And I, I can see that in our program and just seeing some of the residents get really excited about procedures that they've been in, uh, that really does it for me. Um, and it, it's, you know, uh, why we're here. Yeah. Oh, especially you guys. Number four, what are your favorite activities outside of the operating room and outside of medicine? Eating, sleeping, <laughs> spending. Sleep's really important to me. If no one has noticed. Um, and it never was. I was that person who like never went to sleep. And now I'm like, I'm like I can't wait to go to sleep. Um, <laughs> Residency no, does that to you. It, yeah. it totally does. Um, I, I really love um, attempting to be a, a DIY uh, star. Um, in the Your sense, wall. my wall, game. I have a great, I've been doing a bunch of board and batten, um, in my, my new house, which is excellent. So I love doing that kind of stuff. And I'm just so into like entrepreneurship. I love real estate and just kind of expanding my horizons. 
um, and trying to kind of get some like projects outside of me- outside of medicine, like up and running. Um, I did a little bit of that when I was in college and that was a lot of fun for me. So I'm definitely trying to, to work on my business development a little bit more. Oh, I had no idea. Well done. Very cool. Um, I, uh, I would say, um, some of my favorite activities are, um, just getting outside and, um, running after work, um, especially now in in the fall, um, seeing all the colors, um, that's kind of my way of relaxing, um, in the winter it's skiing, um, in the summer playing some tennis. Um, so, uh, I've been exploring all the hiking trails, uh, around New Haven and there's plenty and they're beautiful. Um, so that's been really fun. Um, I also love food, so I've been exploring the restaurants as well um, and all the pizza places that New Haven has to offer. Um, If anyone wants to get some pizza next week, holla at me. Oh my gosh, that's it. See, I, I, Stephanie, I can see it that you would be one of those people who would have the energy to be able to run after work. (laughs) Some days, not every day. I know. I'm just, I, I don't have that sort of motivation. So I'm very, very jealous. The final question I have for you guys is what advice do you have for orthopedic surgeons and orthopedic surgeons in training? That's a tough and this one. is not the part where you guys have imposter syndrome and you think, well, I'm only an intern. I don't have advice to give because that's a false statement. I, actually, that's uh, uh, kind of going off of that. That's a good piece of advice is um, uh, I'm sure we've all experienced the feeling of, oh, I don't necessarily belong um, or am I good enough for this? Um, you know, if you love it, embrace it um, and you are meant to be here. Well then, yeah, um, definitely. Second, something. Second, you know what Stephanie said. You know, on on paper, um, if you just did kind of a quick glance of my application, you'd think, why is this? Why is this lady applying to orthopedic <laughs> surgery? Um, and I think kind of what I've learned throughout my life, and just some little or lot of hardships along the way, is that. There's nothing that you can't do. Um, And the only person who's ever going to keep you from achieving something is you yourself. Um, Don't let anybody tell you that you you can't or you shouldn't do something just because they think that you don't fit the mold. Um, But also, you know, keep yourself humble as well and and really figure out what, what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, and how can you utilize those when you're trying to, to achieve whatever goal it is that you want, especially when you're trying to do orthopedic surgery. Because ultimately, having that very self-reflective um, attitude is what's going to make you a better applicant, a better surgeon, better doctor, better just partner, um, better parent, better everything. Um, so I, I think really just don't let anybody hold you to some mold. Um, sky's the limit. That's what I tell myself every single day. And even that's not even a limit. The, you know, the stars, the universe is a limit. So it's just a matter of how high you want to jump. And sometimes you might need a rocket. So just go find yourself a rocket and you can get up there. You guys, I am so happy we got to talk tonight and I'm so happy you guys are here, EL. Um, and I feel like I got to know you more and I'm very, very happy you guys are here. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. This has been amazing. 
Thank this you so much great. for having us. And Alana, I will say, when I was a med student and I was listening to this podcast, I was like, I cannot wait for one day to maybe be on this podcast and look at me now. Look at you manifesting. Now. She made it. Sky is no limit. No, get yourself a rocket. That. Get yourself we can a rocket. Fix it. Oh my God. It's hilarious, you guys. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the She Can Fix It podcast with Dr. Dion Esses and Dr. Stephanie Kashuba. Please subscribe to our podcast to show your support. Another way you can provide support and keep this podcast up and running is to donate. You can visit our website at www.shecanfixitpod.com and visit our donation page. I want to take this time to thank my editor and co-producer, Andrea Munger, without whom this podcast would not be possible. Thank you so much for listening, and please stay safe.